Thank you so much for your presence here this afternoon to study God's Word together. So good to see you. Thank you so much also for that wonderful fellowship meal. Uh, we went through the line late, and uh, one of my addictions is fried okra, and uh, I'm thankful that when I got there, there was none left. And so I appreciate that very, very much. Truly, it was a great meal, and we appreciate it. This morning, I mentioned Zach Langley in our uh, uh, sermon in the morning service. It's good to see Brother Zach here. We appreciate him sharing with us the uh, the entry into his uh, new book that's soon to be published, and uh, we appreciate very, very much him. I noticed, uh, you know, I was assigned the, t- the topic dealing with depression, trauma, and anxiety, and I noticed in the introduction, it, we, we, we said it was going to be fun and exciting, so that that's good. It reminds me of uh, where I used to work in Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, we had a television program. I was there for 16 years, and uh, Jerry Elder, the uh, youth minister, uh, he and I, he led the singing, and so we worked together so long I could just look at him, and he kind of knew what I needed, and I knew what he needed. And so uh, one, one day, we always met and talked about what the sermons were going to be and how to prepare for you know the song service and the sermon and all, but one week, we'd been at Horizons, and it was at Fried Hardeman, and it was really, really busy week. We didn't have an opportunity to sit down and talk about the plan, the worship service, and so he didn't know that I was speaking on preparing for marriage. That was my topic, preparing for marriage. And I didn't know that he was leading the song, There's a Great Day Coming. And uh, what we did, because we had a television audience, he get up and lead two verses of a song, and then I would get up and do the television welcome, welcome the television audience, and then he'd lead the third verse of the song. So we sang, there's a great day coming, and you know, we sang that it was powerful, and then I'd get up and do the television welcome. Today we're talking about preparing for marriage. Well, you know the third verse of that song, there's a sad day coming. <laughs> so I guess maybe it was prophetic. I didn't, I didn't, didn't mean it that way. Uh, so I guess we should have sang uh, Ready to Suffer <laughs> since we're talking about depression and uh, trauma and anxiety. This is a very personal lesson uh, for me. Uh, I don't struggle a lot with addictions, but I struggle with depression. And uh, I'm not ashamed of that. I have family members who struggle with depression as well. And so I'm going to just talk a little bit about depression and then uh, close out in a few minutes with trauma and anxiety. I want to start out by reading in Job chapter 3. If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, if you will look at Job chapter 3, verses 11 through 19. You know, uh, you can never exhaust this subject. Uh, The more you study, the more you learn, the more you realize, I don't know. I don't know all about it. So I don't stand before you today as some kind of expert that knows it all. Uh, I don't know all there is to know about anything, but especially about depression. But Job chapter 3 is where I want to start. Job 3, verse 11. Job 3, verse 11. Now this is the very first speech that Job makes. And I think Job was depressed because of his physical infirmities. 
You know, a lot of times, and some of you know this very, very well, if you're having a lot of physical ailments and physical problems, depression is often accompanies that. So Job 3, verse 11. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Why did the, nurse, the breast that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw light? There the wicked cease from troubling. There the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are there. The servant is free. From his master. If those are not the words of a depressed person, uh, I don't know what they are. And so today, if I'm talking with someone else in the room, in addition to me, who struggles with depression, I want you to know that you're not alone. Almost half of the U.S. population takes some sort of medication for depression or anxiety, almost half of the U.S. population. But there are those who are going to say something like this. When I first was diagnosed with depression, uh, there was a lady in the congregation, when she found out I was taking some pills, some medicine, she said something that uh, hurt me about as bad as anyone has ever hurt me. She said, if your faith was stronger, you wouldn't need those pills. I'll tell you something, uh, depression has absolutely nothing to do with faith. You can be uh, the strongest person in the world when it comes to your faith. And being depressed doesn't keep you from singing, oh how I love Jesus. Uh, Being depressed doesn't keep you from serving the Lord. Being depressed doesn't keep you from getting an education. Uh, it can hinder, but sometimes we need, uh, we need help to get beyond uh, the level of depression we're in. So let's talk about three types of depression. The first type of depression is mild. It's like a bad cold. Now, none of us like to get a bad cold. But what do you know about the cure for the common cold? If you'll just wait take care of yourself, get rest, uh, soup, maybe chicken noodle soup. In a few days, you're going to be better. It's not terminal. You're, you're not going to have it hanging on for the rest of your life. You're, you're going to be okay. And so mild depression is uh, it's kind of like a cold, but not the flu. Do you remember the book of Acts when Paul was waiting at Athens? Uh, he was waiting on Timothy and the others to come back. And he just needed to wait. And you know Paul, he couldn't wait. He, he got to walking around Athens and saw all the idols and he ended up preaching on Mars Hill. Uh, he was uh, disturbed with what he saw. He had a mild depression. Now, once he got it off his chest and, and he got up and preached a sermon on, <laughs> on Mars Hill and Areopagus and, and let him have it, so to speak, he was okay. Uh, that's mild depression. 
Let's talk about another level of depression, and that's moderate. That's kind of like the recurring flu. We talked about uh, people with flu. I I run into people who say, yeah, I I wasn't at church yesterday. I came down with the flu yesterday, but I was able to go to work on Monday. I want to tell you something. They didn't have the flu. Uh, if you have the full blown, blown of flu, you're going to be you're going to be sick. You'll be sick for a good while. And uh, if you get out and have a relapse, you're going to be sick even longer. But imagine if you had that coming around pretty often, recurring flu. And so, uh, moderate depression. I, I'm thinking about not only Job that we just read about. Do you remember uh, Paul talking about uh, Timothy? Uh, we sometimes talk about timid Timothy. I think Timothy had a stomach problem. Paul told him to take a little wine for the stomach's sake. Well, imagine this. We believe Timothy was 17 years old when he started traveling with, with Paul. Uh, by the time he was 27 years old, he was appointing elders in the, in the church at Ephesus and other churches. Imagine, and, and I'm not running down 27-year-olds. 27-year-olds are capable of a lot of wonderful things, but... Imagine being 27 years old and having the weight of the world on your shoulders. Do you think that that could cause you to be mildly depressed or possibly even moderately depressed? I think Timothy's an example in the Bible of someone who might have been moderately depressed. But then the third depression is uh, severe. And I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination at all to say it's serious like cancer. It is as serious as cancer. Because uh, it's chronic, it can last years and years and years, and if it's secular uh, depression, then you can almost time it on the calendar, when it's going to happen, how long it's going to last, and when you're going to be better. It's um, it's scary. It's amazing. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, severe depression. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he, the scriptures say, and I quote, he was greatly distressed. Greatly distressed. In fact, he was so distressed that he began to sweat, and the, the bloody sweat, the, the sweat as if it were drops of blood, began to clot on his forehead and fall to the ground. I'd say Jesus, at that point, was severely depressed. Now, I know that's going to offend some people. Because there are people who, like the old woman that, Talk to me. There are people who equate depression with a lack of faith. And so to say that Jesus might have been depressed would, would smack some folks right upside the head. And they say, no, 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 you don't understand. Jesus could not have been depressed. He was Jesus. Well, he got hungry, didn't he? Yes, he did. He was human, wasn't he? At least part of him. Yes, then he is subject for depression. Uh, I think about Jonah. Do you remember Jonah in the Old Testament when uh, he just said, look, throw me overboard. Now, to what level do you have to be do you say, throw me overboard? If that wasn't a suicidal depression, I don't know what it would be. And by the way, uh, suicide attempts, suicide gestures are very common with depression. A lot of people with severe depression have uh, attempted suicide. It's not uncommon. Um, Men are 15 times more likely to attempt suicide than a woman. 
And the average man who does commit suicide will attempt it seven times before he actually does it. But what leads up to that is often, not always, but often, a severe uh, depression. Now, I have a friend. He's a fine Christian man. He's a medical doctor. But I've heard him on several occasions give his depression talk. He said, this is what I tell my patients. To overcome depression, you need to pray more, you need to read the scriptures more, and you need to worship more. Let me go over those again. You need to pray more, you need to read scripture more, and you need to worship more. That's fine if your depression is that mild depression, maybe even moderate. But there's some of us who are depressed that we could worship 24 hours a day, read our Bibles 24 hours a day, and pray 24 hours a day, and we'd still be depressed. Let's realize that depression is, is a disease. It's not just a, a, feel, a feeling. Some people say, well, he's depressed. We need to cheer him up. We need to get her out and cheer her up because she's depressed. I won't tell you, if they have severe, even moderate depression, Going out for an ice cream sundae is not going, to take, not going to cure them. Let's look at some symptoms of depression. First and foremost is a feeling of unworthiness. A feeling of unworthiness. This is especially uh, important if you are, was a, raised in a family of origin, your family in which you were raised, uh, if you had low self-esteem. If your family was very, very strict, if there were a lot of rules, if you were uh, often grounded because you broke curfew and you were a minute late and you got a month grounding, that's, that's, uh, that's an example of pretty, pretty strict raising. People with low self-esteem often have a feeling of unworthiness. Uh, they often uh, apologize for everything. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And often their family members will say, well, please stop apologizing. You, you don't understand. They can't help that because they, they have a constant feeling of unworthiness. A second uh, symptom of depression is constant fatigue. A constant fatigue when you are in bed in the morning and you know the alarm clock has gone off but, and you know that you need to get up, but your legs will not move. And you're saying, well, that's That's crazy. Uh, what do you mean your legs won't move? Your legs won't move. You're so exhausted. What do you mean? You've been in bed for 12 hours. Why are you exhausted? Well, there's just a fatigue there that's uh, not always uh, explained. Here's an unusual symptom of depression, a sense of watching oneself. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't like to watch myself. Uh, I'm on television every week, and I haven't seen one of those programs. I just, you know, they say, uh, <laughs> they say television adds 10 pounds. That's a lie. It adds 20. Uh, I'd rather listen to myself on uh, radio recording than, uh, than to watch myself. But, uh, you know, a sense of watching yourself. By the way, I've got to tell you a little funny. Here a while back, I was, uh, we have a tape delay program when I lived in Tennessee on Sunday night. So I'd record it earlier in the week, and they'd show it back at 8 o'clock on Sunday night. So after worship service on one Sunday night, I needed gas. I stopped at a little convenience store, and the woman was watching me on television. She went, 
How'd you do that? I said, uh, it's the power of Memorex. It's just tape, okay? It's just tape. It, it happens every day. And uh, so, but if, if someone is suffering depression, it's like they have a sense that they're, they're outside their body and they're watching them. And so every move is planned because there is, a, uh, there is a, a, an idea that someone is watching. I like this quote. I don't know from whom it, it, uh, it came. I don't know the exact source. I've not been able to tra- trace it down. But someone who is suffering from severe depression, especially, is a walking casualty of war. Uh, you've seen people who were, we used to call that uh, shell-shocked, and now it's post-traumatic stress syndrome, but people who return from war and they've seen so much, it's just like almost a blank stare. A walking casualty of war. And then, th- this might sound uh, contradictory, but sleeplessness. People with severe depression often can go 36 hours without sleeping at all. And uh, they have to be so completely exhausted uh, to be able to sleep. Therefore, it's very easy for people who have severe depression who are taking medication to end up uh, becoming an addict, connecting with the lesson earlier today because the medicine is so strong it's easy to become an addict. So let's move on and talk about causes of depression. Uh, this is oversimplification, and for those of you who are uh, uh, behavior science majors and uh, behavior science specialists, you'll know that this is a great gross uh, over, oversimplification. Depression is anger turned inward. It's when you are so angry at someone, and you allow that anger to turn into yourself. Uh, for example, I was talking to someone many years ago, a long, long way from here, no one that you would know, and uh, she had been molested uh, as, a, as a child, a little girl. One in four little girls will be molested sexually. One in four in the United States. And that, that's an epidemic we need to do something about as a nation. One in four. And she was sexually molested by an uncle when she was eight years old, and uh, she was 68 years old, and she was talking to me about it. And uh, I asked her a question, did you forgive him? And she busted out crying, and finally she said, yes, I had to, for my sake, not for his. He didn't deserve to be forgiven, but I had to forgive for my sake, and she's exactly right. She had to forgive for her sake. But her depression was that she was so angry that as an eight-year-old, she had allowed that to happen. Now let me ask you, as an eight-year-old, how are you going to prevent that from happening if an adult decides that's what's going to happen? But she was depressed because she was so angry at what he did to her that he, she had turned that anger inward and was angry at him. Another cause of depression is some sort of loss. This could be, uh, there are all sorts of losses. H. Norman Wright is kind of a specialist in, in grieving and loss. And I've been to some of his seminars. And uh, one of the things that we don't realize, there are about 16 different levels of loss. When people lose something, it may not be that they've lost someone to death, but they may have lost 
something else. They may have lost their virginity. They may have lost their innocence. They may have lost their sense of security. But some sort of loss often triggers depression. Long-term disappointment is a cause of depression. If we're depressed and it's just been a long, long time of being sad over a long period of time, and a lot of depressions are genetic or chemical imbalances, a genetic or chemical imbalance in our brain that often just a very inexpensive medication can take care of that chemical imbalance, but we have to have uh, someone to help us. 68% of the time we go to our uh, general practitioner, our primary care physician, our uh, nurse practitioner for this. Uh, most of the time that will work. However, if it is severe depression, you're going to need someone that, that will give you a combination of uh, medicine and talk therapy. Even though it's a chemical imbalance, you're still going to need some type of talk therapy. Another thing will bring on a bereavement. Uh, depression is bereavement. Uh, some type of uh, unrequited uh, bereavement. Some grief that just has never ended. And I, I recommend every congregation to have uh, some type of grief support group and uh, occasionally uh, reactivate, maybe two or three times a year, reactivate that grief support group. This is where people can go and talk about their loss with people who have gone through it and, and proven that they have uh, been able to overcome it. Now let's talk about responses to depression. One of the things is uh, we have to resist the impulse to spend. Now that might sound funny. What does that have to do with depression? Because a lot of people who suffer with, with depression uh, think if they could buy something, it would make them feel better. So they'll often come up with big ticket product, products. You know, it might be a new car, it could be a new computer, it could be uh, new furniture, new rugs, new, new everything. A lot of times... Overspenders, people who have a spending addiction, are actually depressed. And they're trying to overcome an, a, an addiction, overcome the depression. And the way they're doing that, they're, they've spent, spent and become uh, an addiction. Interestingly, uh, Celexia, one of the depression medications, is used to treat uh, overspending. And so uh, there are medications that will help with that, but... A motivation in, internal must also be met. Uh, one of the things, too, is that we need to build relationships to overcome depression. In depression, we tend to isolate ourselves and pull away and be introverts and not want to be around people. Uh, I'm an introvert that forces myself to be an extrovert when I speak or when I teach. But the number one relationship we must build is with God. Uh, number two, right after that, God in, would include Christ, uh, the family. Family relationships are very, very important. And then friends. It's important for us to develop friendships. Friendships who will accept us the way we are and not try to change us. Someone who's not always going out, well, we're going to cheer you up today. You're going to have to feel better. And think that just giving you a little pep talk is going to make you have a better day. Uh, co-workers, if you're able to maintain a job. Co-workers. Building relationships. Church members. Uh, and do not isolate yourself. That is the key, key point. What doesn't help? Now let's talk about that. Uh, being discomfortable around someone who is depressed. 
A lot of us have never dealt with depression, and we don't know enough about it, and so we think if we just smile and laugh and tell jokes, it's going to cheer them up, and they're going to feel better. Uh, number two, what doesn't help? Fixing the problem. One time uh, someone called me and said, uh, could I drop my son by your, your office? Do you have an appointment time open this today? And I said, sure, what about three? And he said, that's fine. So he's... He, he came in with his son and he said, I'm going to go uh, up to Walmart for 45 minutes. Fix him. Fix him. Well, if I were a veterinarian and he were a dog, I might could fix him, but I'm not. And, and you can't fix depression, especially in 45 minutes. And so, uh, and, and here's one even worse. What does it avoid? It could be worse. Well, it could be worse. You could have died. Think back to what Job said. I'd been better off dead. A lot of depressed people, severely depressed, do not feel like they have a deserve to be alive. But they feel like their souls will be lost if they take their own lives, and so they're just maintaining the misery. So avoid saying, this could be worse, you know. And then... Of course, avoid, if your faith was stronger, you, know, you would need this. If your faith was just stronger, depression is not an indication that your faith is weak. What does help? If you're depressed, I want to encourage you to feel the way you choose. Do not allow someone else to tell you how to feel. Don't let somebody tell you how to feel. You ought to be happy. You've got a good job. You've got a good wife. You've got a good dog. You've got a good... Car, you've got a good pickup, you've got shoes on. You know, do you not know there are hungry people in China? You've got food, you just had a fellowship meal, you picked out, but you shouldn't feel bad about that. No, don't let anybody tell you how to feel. Uh, feelings are your own personal, uh, personal story. Now, I want to warn you about this one, and that this is not what you wanted to hear. It can be lifelong. Your depression could be lifelong. Uh, you know, I'm a preacher, a counselor. I'm supposed to say, oh, it's going to get better. The truth is, it might not. This might be something you have to live with, so you need to create a new normal. What's normal for you? You might say, well, going to bed at 8 o'clock at night is not normal. No, it might not be for some people. But it might have to be for you if that's when you get sleepy. Getting up at 3 in the morning might not be normal unless you have a job that requires you to do that. But if that's what works for you, you may have to create a new normal. And also, uh, remember who is uh, significant. Who really counts? God, family, others, and yourself. That's who's really significant. A lot of times when we're depressed, we go around trying to impress people we don't even like and don't even like us because we think what they might be saying about us. Who cares what they're saying about us? As long as we're letting our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven, it doesn't really matter what they think about us. And then seek solutions. Seek resolutions. Seek, seek to uh, find a pathway for healing.
All right. Let's talk about the effects of trauma for just a moment. Connecting all three lessons, trauma is a strong predictor of addiction. If we've been through some trauma, even if it's something innocent, let's say we've had a a joint replacement or we've had a broken bone and, and we take some medication, it's easy to get hooked on it. I'm not against taking the medication, remember, but just don't allow yourself to get hooked on that. I, I know, I've, I've tried to help people who started out taking medication for a good purpose, but ended up becoming addicted to that medication. Then it becomes a, a worse problem. 70% of the women in treatment for addiction have been sexually abused. One of the biggest predictors of depression and trauma is being abused as a girl. And so I want to speak to especially to all the men and boys in this room. If you think violating a, a little girl or a, a grown woman will only last for a few minutes, then you're a fool. Because it's going to affect her for the rest of her life. She's going to feel uh, dirty. She's going to feel ashamed. And some people will accuse her of causing that. Well, you shouldn't have worn those shorts. You you shouldn't have worn that t-shirt. You shouldn't have had that attitude. Trauma such as incest and rape is reported by women to have been the starting point for their addictions. I'm talking with a, a lady on almost a weekly basis right now. She has two children, and you know who the daddy of her two children are? Her daddy. Her daddy is the daddy of her two children. He's the daddy and granddaddy of those children. She has a terrible, terrible life and outlook on life because of what her own daddy did to her. 60 to 90% of women report domestic violence, childhood assault, and loss of their own child were the beginning of their addictions and depression. Now connect that. Trauma. Trauma in life affects us. I was talking with someone just this past Thursday who uh, I've known, I went to school with him since the third grade. And for the last uh, 40 years, he has uh, drove a wrecker. And I asked him, I said, uh, does, does it bother you? I'm sure you, you see some bad stuff. He said, well, sometimes. Especially when it's fatalities and especially when it involves children. Now, some of you are in very uh, high-stress careers. Uh, my hat's off to you. I, I appreciate you. Uh, but especially people who see trauma on a daily basis. EMT, uh, emergency room workers, police officers, uh, fire personnel, uh, all sorts of professions. 
you need to take care of yourself. And it's not being, you know, John Wayne or whatever to say, it doesn't bother me. Do you know that you're not supposed to see over three clients a day who have major problems if you're a counselor? You know why? Because you carry it home with you. And and I'd like to say after doing this for 40 years and three masters and a doctorate, it doesn't bother me at all. But I want to tell you something. I take it home with me. And so I have to limit myself to how much trauma I can see and hear about, and especially our children. If our children see and hear things at school that, that make the news, that are newsworthy, they need to talk with somebody. Because you don't want them to carry this with them the rest of their lives and cause them problems. Let, let me give you an example. Now, some of you are going to be able to relate to this because you've experienced it. If you are between 8 and 12 and your parents divorce, now now notice that, you're between 8 and 12 and your parents divorce, when you get in your mid-20s to early 30s, most of the time, who do you blame? Yourself. Almost every month, someone sits in my office and tells me, you know what, my parents divorced when I was eight, and it was my fault. It was not your fault. I've never known of an eight to twelve year old to cause a divorce in a family. But you know who carries the guilt? The children. And so the trauma, childhood trauma especially, especially for young girls, but also for young boys. I failed to mention this, but one in six boys will experience sexual trauma before they reach 18. One in six boys. It's not just a girl problem. It's a boy problem. Now I want to close. I know some of you are glad to hear that because you're hot and you're sleepy. But we're going to close. And I want us to look at uh, Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Let's look at uh, verse 3. I think for dealing with depression and trauma and even anxiety, here are four key ideas. This is not a cure. You know, I, I hate to say this. I'm not sure there is a cure. I think we just have to deal with it on a one-day-at-a-time basis with the Lord. Notice verse 3 of Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Feed on His faithfulness. We will never be good enough, but He is always good enough. So trust in the Lord and do good. Look, uh, I don't know how the week is going to end. I don't know how this week that just started this morning, or last night, I guess at midnight, I I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know what we're going to see. I don't know what we're going to experience. I don't know, but I know who does. And we have to trust him. We have to hold on to him. 
Notice there in verse 4. Verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, when you're struggling with depression, you're going to not, you're not going to want to worship. You're going to tell your family, go on, go on, I'm going to stay home today. Don't cause your little kids to have to say, Daddy's sick today, or Mama's sick, or Sister's home is sick. The very best thing you could possibly do is get up and go to worship with them. Don't isolate yourself. Be around people. Delight in worshiping the Lord. Delight in serving the Lord. That's going to be hard. Now, let's look at uh, verses 4 and 5. Uh, verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. I love that. Commit your way to the Lord. And he'll take care of the rest. He'll see it, he'll see it through. He's, he'll see that it, it, it comes to the past. Look, there are a lot of times we start out and we don't know how it's going to end, right? We just have to trust in the Lord. And then uh, let's look at verse 6 and then verse 7. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in him and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Remember, we talked about anger. Let go of the anger. Anger is at the center, it's the center of most of the problems in life. Unresolved anger. Let go of it. It's not worth losing your soul over. Last slide before we conclude. Suggestions for those who are dealing with anxiety disorders. Do not allow anyone to tell you that you're anxious because your faith is weak. And learn all you can about anxiety. What causes it? There are a thousand different causes of anxiety. And learn about your anxiety. Learn what triggers. Make, make a notebook. Keep a list. When do I feel most anxious? What triggers it? What got it started? Who else in my family? Who did I get this from? Who am I like? Was it my great aunt? I thought she was crazy. But I'm just like her. Who is it? Where did I learn it? Why am I so anxious? Number three, do not refuse medication to help you with your anxiety. How many of us, look, I don't even like to take a Tylenol. Why should I need it? I'm tough. I'll tell you, if that's what you need to be able to get through life, Take it. Don't abuse it. Don't get addicted. But take it. And look, the closing comment here before we offer the Lord's invitation. And I mean this in love. Realize that there are a lot of ignorant people who mean well. They mean well. You know, uh, if you lose a family member and you're 
standing beside the casket, shaking hands and hugging people. You really don't remember what they say, do you? You, you know, a month from now, you won't remember what they said when they came through the line. Unless they say something stupid. Then you'll always remember it. Oh, well, they're better off. I'm not. Oh, they're in a better place. It's, but we'll always remember they're there. And when you're depressed... When you've gone through trauma, when you're anxious, people will say the dumbest things. Get out there and get you some fresh air. That'll make you feel better. Okay? As soon as I get... Hand me my uh, medicine and I'll get out there and walk. Okay? You're going to help me out there because my legs won't move. We mean well, but let's be careful before we tell somebody else what they need to do to feel better. It's not just cheering somebody up to make them feel better. Well, thank you for your patience and listening. I've gone a lot longer than I intended and I apologize for that. But uh, let's, let's have a prayer before we offer the invitation. Our Father, we pray that you will help us to serve you faithfully and loyally and help us, Father, to be to study, to be careful, to choose our words wisely, we may actually make a situation worse. Now, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to always trust you. I believe with all my heart you are the answer to our struggles, to our addictions, to our struggles, to overcoming sin, to our trauma, and to our anxiety. Help us to trust you. In the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior, we pray. Amen. As we conclude, we offer the Lord's invitation. Perhaps someone needs to respond to the gospel today. Don't wait. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Maybe someone needs to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Or maybe someone needs to come back to the Lord who's been separated from the Lord. Now, the invitation song has been selected. If you need to respond, will you please come as together we stand and sing.